Uh, welcome to another edition of our Transportation Insights. Uh, my name is Patrick Berglund and I'm joined here today by Adrian. Adrian, would you care to give a, a short intro uh, to the audience and, and tell you, everybody who you are? Sure, thanks. That's better. Uh, I'm Adrian Tolson. I am a director in uh, of Blue Insight. Blue Insight's a, a, a consultancy business focused on shipping and, and with a fair amount of focus on the marine fuel sector as well. Uh, my own background uh, actually is out of the marine fuel industry. I was originally spent about 30 plus years in that industry, uh, up and down the supply chain, managing different companies, et cetera, et cetera. But for the last five years, I've run a consultancy business, consulted uh, everywhere from financial companies to to shipping companies, to, to suppliers, to commodity traders. So... I follow that supply chain, follow the markets very closely, and uh, and uh, can probably uh, sort of help to get through some of the questions that we might have today, or you might have today, Patrick. Fantastic, Lisa. I'm I'm super thankful for for, for you joining me today. Um, I thought since since we last met in person was actually at our customer summit, and uh, you you did an excellent display yeah. there, and gave a lot of your insight and and shared a lot of your knowledge about the. IMO 2020 situation that we were heading into, and I think that was on the top of mind for an entire industry, right? And um, right. we had these interesting debates about, you know, is it really uh, cost driving the rates for the customers and what are we looking at for really in, in terms of cost increases in 2020 and a lot of uncertainty. Now, nobody anticipated what we saw see today in today's market. And, and maybe it would be a good idea if you could just start off on the purely basics what's what's um what's happening with oil prices today can you just give you a high, high level sure of, uh, i mean obviously forget the imo thing let's just talk about sort of crude oil because that's yeah. where it all starts right um obviously we as i mean part of the the initial impact of coronavirus was the fact that chinese demand and demand for products was crude oil was and products were going down around the world and so that was starting to create some concerns over the price of crude oil it was starting to look weaker uh there was a you know there was an opec meeting in which uh, the saudis tried to get some sort of agreement and then they went to the russians and the russians wouldn't agree with it and and whether or not you believe that the saudis and the russians are conspiring together to 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 destroy the the u.s the growth in crude oil production or whether you believe that the Russians just simply walked out of there for their own reasons. The point is that even before we got into the grips of this coronavirus sort of, um, concern, I mean, the, the pandemic as well as just the impact of it, we were already looking at a very weak crude oil market. And so, it, so we've got two things going on. You've got, a, you've got almost a crude price war going on at the same time as you've got a, a, a pandemic you're trying to deal with the two are all pushed into one i mean it's not like you could come at you could the saudis and the russians could get together now and announce some massive cutback that would make any difference because now demand destruction has got to a different level and i think that's the key element of this is that we're starting to see huge impacts obviously in demand for crude oil, I mean, uh, huge impacts in demand for products, and that's starting to just has collapsed the whole structure today. You know, I mean, as we speak right now, crude is barely above twenty dollars a barrel. I mean, very very low prices, and also the products, uh, all the products are coming down quite dramatically too. 
and uh, this has had an impact in you know in fuel the fuel for ship area the fuel for ships and marine fuel in bunkers it's had obviously an impact in uh, because uh, you know what happens in with one sector of crude oil and products that come out of crude will have an impact on the other products that are produced for bunker fuel so it's uh, we're starting to see an interesting i'll give you an example of that for example the, the drop in gasoline demand is you know it, on surface has no impact on our on our world but then you realize that if you remember conversations during that pre-IMO period, how a lot of refineries going to look at the, whether or not they produced low sulfur fuel or whether they produced gasoline. And there was a direct choice at the refineries. Suddenly with gasoline demand almost non-existent, nobody's, nobody's driving anywhere, right? Uh, except an emergency level. Uh, so gasoline demand is dropped. That means that low sulfur fuel would naturally be much more attractive for produce and put into the market. So those impacts are starting to be felt as well. So um, a lot of changes going on. Uh, and that's, with, that's, you know, before we get to the IMO issues, um, I'm gonna give you a little rerun on what happened with IMO. IMO had in fact uh, already started to unravel a bit prior to this. And that wasn't due to demand. It was that we got through the transition. We saw a spike in prices, very high levels big spreads between low sulfur fuel oil and, and high sulfur fuel oil. And, and that was all due to the panic, sort of the transitional panic when there were shortages, which we sort of anticipated. We started to see those spreads narrow, particularly this famous spread between high sulfur fuel oil and low sulfur fuel. And that was coming in anyway, even prior to this happening. And part of that was that wasn't so much that low sulfur fuel oil was particularly cheap. I mean, people had found ways to produce it and there was more of it around than perhaps any of us thought. But also the fact is high sulfur fuel oil was not dropping as fast as everybody anticipated it was. And some of that was simply that was a weird permutation in the market. A lot of that product was getting put into cokers. More of high sulfur fuel oil in cokers was being, was being re-refined, if you like, in some fashion or other, used at the refinery. And so that kind of took a lot of that high sulfur demand away from the market at a very critical time. So... We never saw that, we never really, that's famous sort of $200, $250 spread that everybody was thinking we'd have between high sulfur fuel and VLSFO. Never really materialized as we went through late second half of January. It just wasn't there. And now, of course, it's it's dropped even more. So, Yeah, but and, and how what does this mean in terms of uh, all those vessels being uh, uh, retrofitted or, or equipped with sure. uh, scrubbers, all these future the order book that has scrubbers already planned to be installed on them? Uh, what does this mean for the carriers, the ones who decided to go for them and those who didn't and, and so forth? Well, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, it depends how you look at the investment. If you... I mean, the, 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 the exciting economics of scrubber investment was if you looked at the figures that we all had prior to IMO 2020 actually happening and the coronavirus outbreak, everybody thought, well, we're going to have this two to 300 spread differential between these two products. Therefore, these guys, these vessels, these investments will pay themselves off in a year or a year and a half or something like that. Mm -hmm. But that's all changed, right? Because if you've now reduced that spread, now that spread has now dropped um, depends on where you are in the world, but if you go to some locations now, it's as low as 60 70 $80 a ton between mm. those products. So we're a third. You basically multiply that, that payback time by a third, by three, right? So suddenly those economics are not very attractive. Now, if you've, if you've already put the scrubber on board, you've already invested in that, you've already made that commitment, 
it just means you're going to have you know to get the return you may have a scrubber on board your ship for at today's prices and we assume today's prices just hold which is probably not the right thing to assume but at today's prices yeah. you can go on for four or five years if you if you still have a decision or installation to take place to do then you're probably not going to do it and it's not you're not going to do it for two reasons one you're not going to do it for um um <laughs> well that's working yeah. at home <laughs> that's 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 the new that's the new normal I think with uh, home offices and also probably, home uh, homeschooling. You probably staged that, Patrick. Come on, that was a stage. <laughs> I promise not. I heard them coming and I thought like, oh man, this is going to interrupt him. I'm pol- uh, apologize, Adrian. Uh, we didn't mean to take you off your. No, no, no. So, uh, so, no. so I think I think you look at that. You see that the, you know the, the spreaders narrowed on scrubbers, and and so that makes them less attractive. It means that. I think there's two reasons why it comes less attractive. One is the payback is a lot longer, and two, who wants to make a capital investment at this moment? Yeah. So you saw, I think, well, Ennis Wilhelmson pulling out of the scrubber investments. Obviously, their sector is the car carrier sector and row row sectors yeah. are a huge mess, right? But yeah, so you can see these people doing that because you know it just doesn't make sense for them to spend money until they know what you know. It's more of a it's more about survival now for many shipping companies than actually dealing with the the you know the environmental issues at the moment right yeah and, and it's interesting then even like back in 2019 we talked about how this is not being picked up as a huge environmental impact and we should all sort of uh, celebrate the transition uh, mm. now uh, with uh, with, uh, with the current market isn't there like a, a responsibility that they have in ter- terms of continue evaluating their options here uh, from the carrier side or or you know less traffic what do you what do you think here from an environmental point of view uh, is there anything to positive we can take from this? I think so. I mean, in some ways, yeah. I mean, I think, I think, you know, obviously people's focus are not going to be, I mean, even, I think even, is it Friday, I think the British government or whatever they call the Coast Guard announced they're not going to do any checks at the moment about I don't know, 2020 compliance. I mean, because they're swamped with other things, right? Trying to make sure that people don't, you know, kind of coming in with virus and all those things. So there's a lot of issues going on. So um, I think this at this point in time, obviously, people's I, people are not focused on this. So, but but I think so. The short term, yeah, you could say we, you know, people are going to be somewhat lax. But I think one of the interesting things I think comes out this is just a very big picture thing, is I think that people do ultimately, you know, come out of this. We come out of this in whatever it is, three, four, five, yeah. six months, whatever it is, and everybody's more much more focused on public health, right? And there yeah. you have, and you know, and so suddenly. You know, it, it's and and I right to start with, we're all worried about epidemics, but then we're going to be worried about emissions, about global yep. warming, and the focus is there. And I have a feeling this gives more impetus to that ultimately as a result of this this event, although it's obviously unrelated to it. But from a carrier point of view, uh, Adrian, what do you think about the entire cost uh, picture being uh, reduced for them uh, with uh, with the oil prices? Do you think it's something they benefit from, or have they locked themselves into higher prices? <laughs> Any anything to share in terms of what? Because I'm trying to sort of think from a shipper point of view, right? How is this uh, as the market recovers and assuming that oil prices remain quite low? I mean, it will probably take some time before they catch up to the the level it sort of dropped from, anyhow. So what would what would one anticipate as one go out of this uh, crisis at some point? Would it be 
low fuel cost equal low uh, transportation rates or it, will it be a v-shaped recovery so there will be so much cargo that it is supposed to move that is going to be uh, expensive to get your goods moved how will this look from a from a shipper point of view you think and then from a carrier point of view is there like a blessing here with this collapsed oil price relative to their financials and uh, that, I guess that's the two sides I'm interested in, the, the carrier side and, and the shipper side. How does it play out, do you think, for, the, for these players? Yeah, I mean, certainly, obviously, cost of operations is considerably less, right, in terms of fuel. And uh, but obviously, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean you've got cargo to move. And I think that I think it's 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 too early to really speculate on what's going to happen to international trade and certainly container trades. Right? We we know that. I mean, the, there is obviously a need for international trade, and it continues to this day. And there are ships coming into New York with containers on board, or or into Rotterdam with containers on board, and it's happening. Right? So it's not like that. That's died altogether, and you know the container rates have been very attractive. You've heard some reports about yep. particularly high container. Rates. I think one of the things I see being issues, and this is something that you know that the shippers have sort of had a perspective on. But what I see is the supply chains being stretched here, because as different yep. countries around the world have more and more problems. It doesn't seem just because we live in just in time nowadays and everything is you know the supply chain is very tight. It just seems to me that there's a, there's a lot more issues coming down the road as we go with this that, that will will restrain international trade from returning and therefore restrain the activity that the container company even the container companies can have so i think they're not going no one's going into a, a, a sharp v like that right they're all going into you know i don't know if it's the u or if it's if it's one of these sort of weird sort of l's with sort of bring comes up towards the end but i think it's a it's a it's a bit tougher than we tend to think because i think the supply chain issue i mean just you know this is a anecdotal but just article read you know about trying to manufacture you know ventilators which everybody's talking about ventilators 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 right trying to manufacture ventilators that one of the major leading manufacturers of ventilators in the United States indicate that they get they currently make ventilators where they get parts from 17 different countries mm. now trying to source all 17 parts and even find alternatives in this situation at this moment yeah finding people who can work and get those pro and are actually manufacturing and have factories operating at full speed it's a huge huge yeah. task right now yeah and i think yeah i think uh, sorry i you're absolutely right and i think uh, even from like uh, con contingency planning it's going to be super interesting to see what comes out of this uh, after post the crisis right and and see how companies uh, uh, do uh, try to mitigate the risk and if this were to ever happen again in in our lifetime uh, which i mean the the probability is actually there uh, all things considered but adrian time is flying uh, any and i promise to only take you for 15 minutes so i want to be respectful for that any like what's top of mind for you in terms of your uh, concerns or uh, thinking about shipping lines these days relative to oil prices what, what what do you keep an extra eye on or what are you concerned about or what is just your number one priority when you think about these players i mean i'm everybody's concerned about counterparty risk the whole industry my it, and i think everybody's concerned about it certainly the oil industry and the bunkering industry is concerned about you know which of these companies can we still sell to you know because and you made a point earlier on did these guys buy on fixed prices? We don't think many of the big container companies bought a fixed price. They usually buy on floaters, so with hedging. Mm -hmm. So they should be okay, but you never know, you never quite know. Or did they not have the, you know, did they have some 
some hedging tool in place that is actually work hurting them in this sort of market you know so everybody in our industry is very worried about counterparty risk obviously these we know shipping companies debt balance sheets are enormously you know debt on the balance sheet is not going to go down in value we know we've all heard the cma rumors right that's all out there so i think there has to be genuine concern on that for me that's the biggest thing i think in our industry right now is you know i i dealt as a in my career and i didn't bring that in when i when i was i dealt with a company that collapse in OW bunkers, which was famous industry collapse that dealt in a similar market crash, not as, as intense as this and not and but the company collapsed because some mistakes were made sort of in the hedging processes within those company. And it went out of business very quickly. So is there one or two or something that are out there on either side of the supply chain, whether it's a supplier, whether it's a, a ship owner? those things are what are worrying the industry right now and that's taking a lot of the credit out of the industry so mm. people you know the a number of the major old companies are demanding letters of credit uh cash payments for bunkers when before they were happy to give extended you know, credit terms of 30 days or 45 days or whatever so there's a lot of uncertainty right now in that marketplace so this is going to hurt too although prices are cheaper you know you still need chip yeah. owners still need cash flow they still need working capital if that working capital is pulled away from them at this time it could be it could be you know very catastrophic the only thing that's good for shipping is that it's a strategic business right yeah. and most most governments still have an affinity to most shipping lines so you know the, there is a there is a willingness to support those lines whether it's logical yeah. or not yeah. uh, and so you would think that they would if you're doing a bailout package or a rescue package you know shipping companies would probably be on on the list there too right so that's positive that's a great point to wrap it up uh, for this time, Adrian. I, I, we, we next time we, we schedule more time, but I'd love Absolutely. to get you back on. It's such a pleasure talking to you. Uh, thanks a lot for sharing, uh, and thanks everybody for listening. Uh, on a final reminder here for all our customers, please go online and continue the conversations there. Ask us anything you might uh, be curious about, and we will dig into our network in order to provide the answers to you. Uh, our customers, uh, uh, customer uh, discussion forum is available at community.senata.com and you can log in with your normal credentials. Again, Adrian, thanks a lot and I'll look forward to chatting with you again soon. Great, Patrick. Thanks. Take care.